Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where John Negroni and Will Ashton discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. So sit back, relax, and pour one out for the two and only Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I am John Agroni from the internet, California, and back from his vacation to far, far away, it's Will Ashton. Hey, John. Uh, I don't know, man. This is weird. <laughs> this is strange, isn't it? We're having a bit yeah. of a Groundhog's Day situation. Let me explain. Uh, it's just Will and I this week, um, not because we planned on it. It was not what we wanted, but uh, we actually right. recorded an entire episode of Cinemaholics with Maverick Hines was here. Special guest Sam Flynn from Heroic Hollywood was here. We had this great conversation about The Dark Tower, and the audio was lost to the oblivion of post-production, and we're so sorry. Yeah, I mean, like I was telling John off the air, I mean, we've been doing this for like six months, maybe seven months now, and we haven't really had a huge issue yet, so I guess we were kind of due yeah. one. I don't think we've and ever I'll, had to restart. An yeah. Episode. So did you ever have to restart one for now conspiring or what's a new yeah, title? Of the that, show? that had happened a couple times. Uh, it's now okay. called Part Time Characters. So if you're a fan okay. of Cinemaholics, go check out Part Time Characters on Um Side note. But anyway, uh, we're talking about the Dark Tower, and uh, we did we had a full length episode for you guys, and we apologize because of time constraints. This is going to be kind of a, a mini episode almost. And so we're, we're only going to talk about the dark tower here. And then we might be able to squeeze in lady Macbeth and Detroit, which actually we've already talked about on cinema Hawks before, but I just right. saw lady Macbeth and will just saw Detroit. So now we can actually um, kind of like share notes on <laughs> these movies. Finally, right. um, that might be all we really get to. Maybe we could even do girls trip for a few minutes. We'll see what happens, but we're, yeah, we're just going to be focusing on Dark Tower because we wanted to make sure you guys got something from us this week. Definitely. I mean, I'm glad we could do something. I mean, I, I felt like for a brief moment there, I was afraid that we wouldn't be able to do anything, but right. we're, we're doing this now. So hopefully we got something good for you. Yeah. And this is like backup. this is like the old days. Just you and me. Yeah, no. You know, it's like a, a throwback. Yeah, I don't like it. It's uh, yeah, I'm, it's I'm, a little weird. I've, got, I've gotten spoiled by, uh, yeah. by Maverick Hines's, uh weird interruptions and sinister sobriety right. you know his course and tangents and all that well let's let's just jump right into it you know when we were doing the original episode we kind of kicked off with this like what's your favorite stephen king movie and uh you know just speaking first so sam flynn came on and he talked about how children of the corn was his and uh, also uh please check out sam spent some time and hung out with us he's he's fantastic go check him out on uh twitter and he has a blog uh call it, he calls it the sam slog i think it's really sam cool. flynn slog yeah. yeah yeah uh his twitter is sam at sam flynn 1992 uh be sure to check that out but yes children of the corn was yep. his favorite maverick i thought he was gonna say maximum overdrive but uh, it <laughs> ended up being uh stand by me and uh yeah and then will what, what was yours again I know what it is. But. Yeah, I mean, I picked The Shining. I mean, that's my personal favorite. I think I said uh, Carrie is probably like the best acted, and Stand by Me, I think, is the best like actual adaptation of his work as opposed like as far as transitioning his material to the screen. I think that's the one that probably does it the most effectively without like any big hurdles or hiccups. And I know that's his favorite adaptation, but yeah, I would say The Shining is my personal favorite. We had we already had an argument about this because I'm not as big of a fan of The Shining. 
even though I res- I know that like I'm it's an unpopular opinion and for good reason. I mean, Stanley Kubrick's one of his finest films, and it's just a movie that I've never really liked or thought like I I, I kind of liked it the first viewing, but I could couldn't watch it again. It was just something that was very fleeting for me. I don't know why. That was a good argument though. Between you yeah, pretty, yeah, I feel bad because we're gonna keep talking like oh yeah, remember when we did this and they'll have no like way yeah, of yeah. actually like knowing any of this. That's right. Well, I my my favorite was I picked Carrie. Uh, and you know, here, here's my thing. Here's something we didn't talk about last time. Okay. I, I kind of want to know, like, I want to get a better opinion from you, Will, on Stephen King himself, because where I stand, you know, they say that you, you know, they say that like there are Stephen King fans and then there's like everybody else and I'm the everybody else, I guess. But like, but the joke is that like everybody loves Stephen King novels. Everybody has a Stephen King novel that they like. And there's so many movies that the guy's done and, you know, from, Cujo to you know Christine it's just there's so many and I honestly of all the the short stories novellas and books and movies of his that I've seen I've never just I've never gotten it I've never really been like yeah Stephen King you know great author whatever I've always just thought he was just whatever and like it infuriates people because he's supposed to be the king, and uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, Carrie is the exception to that. I love the nineteen seventy six version of Carrie. I, I just think it's a fantastic piece of yeah, film. it's a great movie. It's one of the few like uh, you know, it's one of those few films that like it's like horror and supernatural, but without like all that extra stuff that you would expect in a blockbuster today, you know, like vampires and werewolves, none of that stuff. It's just such a great psychological horror movie. And I I love it to pieces. That said, uh, Will Ashton, where are you at with Stephen King overall? All right. I mean, I know you have your reservations because I think you, I mean, it, it sounds like you just think he's put on too high of a pedestal for his own good. Is that fair to say? Which is not uh, a knock against his fans. At no, all. no, no. He has the best fans. I mean, I think. I mean, I was talking about this earlier with you on our own, our own little private Facebook thing, and I think the most apt description I can think of when I think of Stephen King is kind of similar to Patton Oswalt's Edgar Allan Poe bit, which if you can find it, it's hard to find for some reason. But if you can find it, it's a really good bit. And essentially, what he says is that Edgar Wright is like, or sorry, not Edgar, not Edgar Wright, <laughs> oh, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, you know, is responsible for some of the best writing of, like, all time. And I think that's true with Stephen King. But I think the fact is that he and they just write so much, like, just they're constantly writing that, like, they're able to churn out these great things, but they also churn out these terrible, like, stories that they're just constantly writing. And sometimes it's brilliant, sometimes it's bad. And that's kind of, I think, I feel about Stephen King. Like, he's obviously one of the most prolific writers of all time, not just our, you know, past generations. And I think... His output is so extensive and so dense that, like, he'll, you know, like, one year he'll just turn out this incredible book, and another year he'll he'll turn out something that's, like, just terrible. And I think it's just, I mean, it, it's really just a case-by-case scenario. I do think he's a great writer, but I think sometimes he has this kind of, like, blind-eye philosophy when he's writing where he doesn't really plan anything out. He doesn't, like, you know, outline his stories, or at least he hasn't, you know, for several decades. And so he would just kind of like see where the story takes him. And sometimes that doesn't really go in a great direction. Sometimes it does. I mean, it, it's really kind of a, you know, case by case. I think that might be some of the issues you might have with the Dark Tower, like, uh, series is that he doesn't really have, like, the same, like, plotting that you might like in a traditional fantasy. Well, you he just know, kind he of, changed the ending of the book series 
like at the, in the last book. It wasn't he didn't really plan it, and uh, he himself has said that like when he writes a story, he bases it all on situation, not on plot. He's not an architect, which is right. fine. You know, all writers are different and everything. But for when he do, when you do fantasy, it's just really difficult to write a fantasy where you're not really planning ahead and you really don't have something larger to say. So I, I just find the Dark Tower, like I just read the first book a long time ago, and it just didn't really have an effect on me. I just thought it was kind of bleak for bleak's sake, and it was just very straightforward. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that I could read on an airplane. Sure, you know, he's obvi- he obviously knows how to write. But uh, a lot of my problems come into like, just this basic uh, storytelling just isn't for me. And uh, it kind of, it, it, the weird thing is that that has no bearing on this movie we're about to talk about, the Dark Tower film. Sure. Because, which is different. The first book is called uh, The Gunslinger, technically. And it's the Dark Tower series. But the movie is just called The Dark Tower. And it's a combination of all of these stories. And um, I guess we can go right into it. So it's uh, it's billed as a science fantasy Western film. Uh, it was directed Great. and co-written by Nicolaj Arcel. And uh, it's basically taking a lot of the the novels in the Dark Tower series and taking like elements from a bunch of them and putting them together. And it changes virtually everything about what those stories are about. So, you know, just from the outset, let's just say this right now, that it does it it does not fall in line with the source material. It's not a movie that's made really, in my view, to please fans at all. I, I don't think they really have much to get here except uh, the names of characters that they like. Yeah. N- none of the emotional beats of uh, the story, the, the book, um, and what I assume is the rest of the series really comes through here. So that said, we're just going to put that on the outside and we're going to just judge this as a film. Cause I mean, it's all we can really do at this point. Yeah. So the Dark Tower, uh, like I said, uh, was uh, the screenplay was also by Akiva Goldsman, uh, Beautiful Mind, and Batman and Robin, and uh, yeah, it, it stars Idris Elba, Matthew McConaughey, Tom Taylor, Claudia Kim, Fran Krenz, Abby Lee, and Jackie Earl Haley. And the film is about a legendary gunslinger who is trying to find the Man in Black in this dark, uh, you know, multi-universe world, and he comes across a young boy named Jake Chambers, who has this interesting psychic ability that lets him, uh, it might be the key to destroying the Dark Tower, which protects the universe from legions of demons. Will Ashton, what did you think of the Dark Tower overall, and also just going in? Yeah, I mean, going in, I just didn't really have high expectations, just because I don't think the studio really had high expectations for the material or the film itself. It just seemed like they were kind of... They, they wanted to reap the benefits of it being like a huge franchise, but I don't think they really were doing the appropriate work to make it happen. So, like, the trailers were unconvincing, and just when we were hearing about how the movie was coming together, it was not... It was just not sounding promising. Like, I mean, I thought, you know, Idris Elba was a great choice for The Gunslinger, and I thought... Um, Matthew McConaughey was an inspired choice for the man black, but otherwise it just didn't sound that good. And I mean, ultimately the film was basically what I expected. I, I will give it this much. I, it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was going to be just because I expected from some of the early reports that it was going to be like this huge mess, like on par with something like fan four stick or like green lantern or something that was like an unsalvageable mess. Yeah. And it wasn't quite that. I mean, it is watchable, I think. Like, it's not 
I think you might have said like if it was on Netflix or like on a plane or something, you could probably watch it and not be like too disgruntled by it. Like if you were like kind of like half awake and you're just kind of keeping up with bits and pieces, you might get some enjoyment out of it. But it really just kind of feels like a like early two thousands like TV pilot that isn't really fleshed out. And what they're they're trying to like please everyone because they want to introduce this material to people who are not familiar with the books and it's safe to say i mean like the series is popular but it is kind of a niche thing like it's not a super popular series especially compared to some of stephen king's other works right but the fans so, of the dark tower series are hardcore right fans yeah yeah so i mean they want to appeal to them they just don't want to do something generic so it's like this weird like they're kind of doing like a semi-sequel to the series yeah but they're also trying to reintroduce elements from the first book like the character jake and a couple other things and they're also trying to do all this different stuff, and it just it just becomes like a I mean a mess in the traditional sense in that like it's mostly incoherent. I mean the mythology is like half explained at best. There are clearly a lot of reshoots and a lot of things that they changed up, like and so characterizations are kind of muddled and confused, and like certain a lot of the cliche there are a lot of cliches in how things are set up and how the story is paced. And it just, like, I mean, like, it, it really doesn't even have a, much of an arc. It, like, just kind of, like, sets up a lot of stuff. And then, like, halfway through, it becomes, like, like you said before, like, it's this kind of, like, last action hero type of story or fish out of water thing where the gunslayer is in New York and he's, and then that just gets really rushed and stuff. And so it's just, I mean, ultimately, it's just a generic, formulaic blockbuster that wants to, like, reap the benefits of having a franchise under Sony's, you know, name, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't earn it. And I think that's a disappointment for not only fans, but just, you know, fans of fantasy and Western stuff in general is just not a good film. Yeah. And it's, it's Sony's first real foray into a franchise or, you know, probably a cinematic universe. If this movie had been successful, they probably would have announced the Stephen kingdom a day later, uh, yeah. or tomorrow really. And uh, instead, I mean, they've tried, they've swung and they've missed quite a few times here. Uh, Goosebumps yeah. and Ghostbusters and Spider-Man, just these movies not really delivering the kind of uh, cultural impact or box office success that they've been looking for, clearly. And I think that Dark Tower was a great bet. And, you know, we were talking about this at the beginning of the year uh, when we were actually testing for Cinemaholics. I think you and I sat down and we were just talking about, like, all the movies coming out this year, the, the big epic right. movies and we spent some time on Dark Tower, if I recall, and even then, we really were seeing the the writing on the wall for this film that you know had been announced, you know, had been in production for years. I mean, we're talking all the way back to uh, ten years ago, two thousand seven. J.J. Abrams was originally attached to direct it, and uh, only a couple of years after the series ended, and uh, it was supposed to be this just. You know, it, it was going to be like his Star Trek, and then but then he made Star Trek right in two thousand nine, and then Ron Howard was attached for five years, and then he couldn't get it off the ground either. He got out, and then they bring in Nicolas Jarcel, and you know, I don't want to disparage the man or his work, but you know, you really feel like at this point it was not the kind of passion project we probably could have gotten from Abrams or even Howard because Arcel just doesn't really seem to have a love or you know, appreciation for just genre filmmaking in this way. Like they, you know, there's so many elements of the dark tower series that, you know, the, the idea of dark tower itself is you, you're mashing up a lot of genres. I even called it the science fantasy Western. Right. And you kind of want it to be like a lot of different things mashed up. You know, that's, that's the point is like, there's multiple universes. You can have cowboys over here. You can have a post-apocalypse over here and you can have vampires over here. 
And we don't really get that with this movie for whatever reason. You know, in my review, I said, like, this is supposed to be like a genre mashup. So why is it so generic? You know, you have this opportunity to make something really special with like the scope of Lord of the Rings, but, you know, providing something new. It's not just Lord of the Rings again. And somehow they made a movie that is like a YA without like, you know, like with, it's even got the YA protagonist. It's got the wish fulfillment character. It's got the super evil bad guy because reasons and just the very standard generic action movie plot. So like you said, I think the fish out of water stuff is the only bright spot because it kind of, you know, it's welcome and it's, it's something that just feels totally different from the rest of the movie. And that makes it for that reason feel like something's happening. But, right, and yeah. there are some like genuinely funny jokes in there too. Like, I mean, that's why I think saves it more than anything. Yeah, and you said it's definitely watchable. I mean, we've mentioned for whatever reason air travel a lot in this episode, but yeah. I mean, but you, know, I think the idea behind that is when you have nothing else really to do and you just need to sort of escape into something and take your mind off of your, you know, your next destination. Uh, it's it's fine. It's a nice little siloed kind of experience that you can just sort of you know, hang out with these characters for a couple of hours and uh, it's very disposable in that way. And I don't think, you know, I I honestly think that you're either going to be whatever with it and be like, that was fine, okay, or you're going to really hate it because of the missed opportunities. And hopefully most people listening are, you know, not in that camp. I I don't know too many hardcore fans of Dark Tower. They, They exist, they're around, they've been, but I think they even have known, like they've had time to realize that this isn't going to be what they want. I think since the trailer came out, they've known that there was something off here. I mean, it seems like a lot of like the fandom of like Stephen King and stuff are like way more excited for it. Like I'm hearing a lot of appreciation for it. Yeah. That's what I mean. But like, like all the fans that would, that should be like, as far as Tony would like, like all the the people would be like, Oh, like, look at this. Like, this is like what I I always wanted. They're all, they're all gravitating towards it. And like with dark tower, like, Oh, Oh yeah, that's coming out. Uh, and and uh, I hope that just doesn't really suck. And Castle Rock it, and Mr. Mercedes and yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Mr. Mercedes. There was that Mist reboot that I heard was all right. Yeah, still um, haven't caught that. Yeah, I probably won't either. I didn't even think the Mist movie was that great. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of the minority on that one, though. You know, I gotta, I gotta admit, like, I feel like we've kind of articulated our thoughts, and you kind of get it at this point, like what we think about the movie. Just a couple yeah. of like stray observations, you know, super short film. Uh, if you actually look into like the production issues that they were having, uh, they had a much longer film here, and they had to cut it quite broadly um, because test screenings were not working out and they did as we mentioned like a lot of reshoots uh the jake chambers character his voice changes random parts you can tell that the yeah, ADR is very noticeable. gets taller and yeah his facial hair is like popping in and you're like whoa and then it yeah. goes back to normal it's weird <laughs> yeah, yeah only 95 minutes and i think to that to the film's advantage here that means it's going to show up in more screenings and actually the movie has already made almost 30 million so it's made about half of its budget back so it's not a complete disaster for sony anything it's just critically this isn't a great movie i don't think it's gonna have a lot of legs it it would be lucky to break even at this point um but at the same time august is kind of a weak month i don't know how many, it's not competing with a ton of movies at this point i think dunkirk is the obvious one and uh but it's not like valerian is really hot on its tail or emoji yeah. movie it's not you know yeah i mean emoji movie's doing okay and i think girls trip is doing well but it's like doing well like not like to a point where it would overthrow like something like a big blockbuster like dunkirk or something yeah. but 
And Idris Elba has a lot of international appeal. Uh, you know, the right. UK. As he should. He has a huge following in the UK because he's done so much great work uh, with the show Luther, for example. So that's going to be... It, it, the movie does have an opportunity to make a lot of its money back. So, yeah. for better or worse. I just don't see... I just don't see how it's going to be this what Sony wants it to be. Which that's the thing. What does Sony want it to be? Yeah, I mean, I think they just want. I think they just want. They see franchises are multi. It's like kind of the same like with the Mummy earlier this summer. They like Universal saw like all these things like oh we want like a cinematic franchise too or like we want that and like they tried it and they just didn't do the legwork and that's mm-hmm. why that movie didn't work and I think it's the same with this like they kind of I mean they they see the potential in here I mean it's pretty like apparent you can see where a good movie or good show could come from this material. But it's like you said, I mean, like the direct, like even like something like fantastic four where like, it's a mess. Like you can kind of see like what the vision was. Yeah. It doesn't get realized, but you can kind of, you can see like bits and pieces where you can see it. This movie, like there's no real like clear vision, like of what it was going to be, even like with all the reshoots and stuff, like there's not even like little segments where you can really like see what the director was going to bring out of it. It just feels like it was just a movie that was made because they're like, well, we got to get this thing off the ground. Yeah. We've been trying to do this for how many years? We just got to do it by this point. I mean, and they throw a lot of, we will. and it's the typical throw a lot at the wall, see what sticks. You know, yeah. and for me, the thing that sticks is what the, the darker the movie got, the more into it I was. Um, there's, there's sure. something that happens about halfway through the film involving a certain character and it's dark and it's traumatic. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I want out of like, a, you know, a lot of studios and a lot of TV executives are kind of looking at Game of Thrones as like sort of the harbinger of a new a resurgence in fantasy that uh, for whatever reason, they, they seem to have forgotten that Lord of the Rings did the same thing where like got people in fantasy again. And I remember after Lord of the Rings, there were a lot of like fantasy movies that started getting made and they all kind of were not great. And I think like, there's something to be said about one of the reasons is because even Lord of the Rings gets pretty dark and Game of Thrones, very grounded and very dark. This movie had moments of that. And those were the moments that I think if they were going to try this again, pay a little bit more attention to like the stuff that like gets more into like what makes Stephen King a good horror author, you know, not that Dark Tower mm-hmm. has any horror to speak of. It could have had a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, we brought up Idris Elba, but I feel like we haven't really talked about his performance, at least not in this recording. And I, I, I will say that, like, I think they're, if they do anything with the series, I don't know if they'll try it again or if they'll just cut their losses, but I wouldn't mind if they did, like, a Deadpool situation where they, like, did again, but they kept Idris Elba in the part. Because I think, despite all the film's problems, I think he did a great job in this role. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that's a good assessment because, um, you know, you have to leave it to the gravitas of an actor to take what is such a limp script and just still present him. Like, even when the worst scripts, you really get the feeling that Idris loves the craft. Like, he loves to act. He loves to just be in an action movie. It makes me... It's, it reminds me of his performance as Heimdall in the Thor films, you know? Right. Where, like, he's just giving it his all in there as well. And I, I just... You know, I, I, did, I did find it weird that, like, he has an American accent in this movie when there kind of was an opportunity to let him, you know, use his British roots because... As we know, like uh, or when you watch the movie, they're like, "Oh yeah, he's descended from King Arthur." You know, they just kind of like that's like a throwaway line. It's not consequential to the plot. Yeah. 
And you're like, well, if that's the case, <laughs> like, why not let him uh, have a British accent? I thought that was weird. Yeah, that was weird. And I, I don't know why that was either. But I mean, I don't know. I guess that's, I, I hope it's not one of those like dumb studio things where it's just like, can, can he be American? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, th- I, th- I think people from Nebraska would like it if he was American. Which is- ridiculous because you already have I don't Jake know. Chambers I don't know right I don't know I, I don't get the logic of some of these things but I don't know yeah. test audiences I guess say stuff I don't know yeah well I don't really have anything else to add except final thoughts I think that we're kind of on the same page with this one and right. it's kind of just a harmless movie that you know is kind of harmful if you love the love the uh, books and you were hoping for something really good uh, but chances are you kind of saw this one coming um, so Will Ashen what are your final thoughts and great yeah, I mean, you kind of, you know, you summed it up. I mean, it's just, it's just such a like ineffective movie in the sense that like it really just doesn't do much of anything. It's just weird because like I saw Detroit before this movie, and that's a movie that like still even today, like days after, like I'm thinking about that movie, and it's still like wrapped in my mind, and I just like am haunted by it in many ways. And then this movie, which I saw right after, I just I can barely remember anything from it yeah. let alone have a feeling towards it one way or the other and so yeah i mean it's just it's the best word you can say is generic and it's that's really all it is it's generic and formulaic and it's not the worst movie you'll see this year but it definitely just feels cheap and it and just not i mean it just feels ineffective in a way that i did not really i mean i expect to be ineffective i did not expect it to feel cheap so i mean it just it's it has no real vision it has no real idea i mean i don't know if i can't I, I maybe in some years time we'll get an idea of what went wrong here exactly i mean i'm guessing it was just too many cooks as far as a producer standpoint we're trying to offer things and just muddle test results and all that but it just does not turn out well i mean it's overcooked and it just does not do its job well agree completely uh yeah i'm i'm in the same same mindset here and uh f- what was your grade sorry Oh, sorry. Yeah, I gave it like a C, probably closer to a C minus at this point. I, I, I'm more middle of the road. Yeah, that's a C for me. I just think it's a completely average. And I think if you actually love what this is based on and you really if you're really attuned to like what a wasted opportunity this is and the lack of lack of potential um, or what they've the squandering of the potential, I should say then that grade is definitely a lot lower for, for certain fans. But yeah, there's not much to love here. It's just, you know, a couple of brief yeah. moments here and there that are fine. And it, it's watchable enough. It's it's entertaining enough. But you just really get the feeling that they played it safe in a lot of ways. And it's a disposable movie. Well, we're going to forget about it pretty soon. Uh, right. I gave the movie a C. And uh, real quick, uh, Matt Donato reviewed uh, the film for We Got This Covered. And he's kind of in the same boat as us he gave it a two out of five and said the dark tower is a shot to the heart of cinematic intrigue as stephen king's beloved story loses all magic in its big screen adaptation he actually did like a whole eulogy to the fans which was pretty funny it's a great oh, review really? go check it out yeah i'll check that out yeah that sounds funny all right uh we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and speak briefly uh with a couple of mini reviews some films that we're excited to talk to you guys about so we'll don't go away we'll be right back Maverick, what I'm about to do in this really quick aside mm-hmm. is I'm about to ask you a few questions because I would I want to go on record before we go on, okay? Because yeah. I know what this is about. You, I I can see the rectangular death on the table next to us, and I just want everyone to know that John asked me to help him with this play. Yeah. So yeah. so everything I'm about to say, 
Like, he's well aware that he opened this I'm camera. asking for this. Yeah, literally. I'm asking for this. So for those of you Cinemaholics listeners who don't know, I, I recently came out with my new book. It's my first novel, second published book. It's called Killer Joy. It's a young adult story about a girl who finds a dragon in a forest. <laughs> oh, no. What is what is it from the office? <laughs> the horse flyer. <laughs> the horse. Plucky sophomore, yeah. whatever, finds a pegasus in the woods. No, this is called Killer Joy. Totally did. Not young adult. This is a <laughs> this is a fantasy book, uh, fantasy with sci-fi elements called Killer Joy. Okay, uh, it's been out for a few weeks, and I want you guys to read it because it's my book, and and uh, because I won't. Okay, so I okay, I've been putting the book in every nook and cranny of Maverick's like that. What you guys need to understand, this is not a joke. He has hidden it underneath my pillow. He has put it in my dresser. He, I think it was in my car at some point. Like it's in my toothpaste. I don't know what's happening. He was taking a shower. I like replaced it with his towel. <laughs> yeah. Which was finally a good purpose for it for me. Sorry, that might have been too me. Uh, so I'm gonna read the synopsis for you guys real quick, and then feel free to. Chime no, I want to read it. Oh, you're gonna. Be, oh no. <laughs> John Negroni, desperate for money. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Uh, vast cities, ruined kingdoms, and superheroes for hire. In the old world, they called themselves wizards and mages. Yeah, they now, do. they're the lords of metal, sworn to defend the Dominion and its colony cities for a price. Mm-hmm. But as new threats of dangerous monsters and desperate armies creep the horizon, unlikely heroes may rise in the form of an outcast of the lords named Exa, who can walk through walls, and a young, troubled man named Adel? Yes. Adel? Okay. Who gets? I don't know anything it's about like this. Seattle, but with the C, without oh, the C. Now I'm connected. Yeah. Uh, who gets recruited by a society of masked rogues? Their plan to oppose the lords at any cost and to save the Dominion from the mysterious creature that may doom them all. It's about four. Not bad. I've literally I've never read that before. Oh, so wow. I, yeah, I feel yeah. like I did pretty good. Four, four to five hundred pages or so. Definitely worth checking out if you're a fan of fantasy. And uh, it's available on Amazon Prime. Uh, paperback and ebook, and you can always go to johnnygrindy.com to find updates about it and all that stuff. And it's gonna yeah. be hitting retailers like Barnes and Noble and like whatever, a few others. Uh, in like John's trunk, a month. you can buy it everywhere. It's it's literally in my trunk. Yeah. But, uh, all yeah. jokes aside, I think you guys should check it out. I'm not a big fantasy reader, that's why I'm making jokes about not reading. It's just not my genre. But everyone who I know who's read it has had great things to say. So I think all you cinemaholics should definitely give it a peek. What did they said behind my back though? Uh, well, nothing about the book. Mostly just about you as a person. Thank so goodness. I won't repeat that. All right, it's time for our mini reviews. And uh, real quick, I want to say that I finally checked out Lady Macbeth. And uh, this, I just saw this one with uh, Maverick Hines, Soundmaster, and Kayla Savage, a uh, friend of the podcast as well. And Will, you already reviewed for Cinemaholics uh, a month ago or so. Um, yeah, the movie, maybe a little less, but yeah. Yeah, the movie came out in April in like uh, the UK, and it just came out for limited release. Uh, just been a few weeks now, and it finally came to the Bay Area, so we managed to go check it out, and uh, I was definitely worth the watch i'm not going to get into super detail it's the kind of movie lady macbeth is the kind of movie you want to go into blind i'm really glad like mm-hmm. will you gave a great review because i still went into lady macbeth not really knowing what i was in for and you did a great job like just kind of prepping us for that and so i was i i didn't watch the trailer either and that was that was a great decision all i'll say is lady macbeth is not what it sounds like it's not a shakespearean novel yeah. um, or a shakespearean adaptation it's actually based off the novella, a uh, Russian novella, I forget the author's name, called Lady Macbeth and the Menshk Room or something like that. Um, I should look that up uh, probably. And 
It's just a fantastic, uh, it's not really like a period piece or like a Downton Abbey kind of thing. It really is like a, a film noir, but like set in 1860s England. And the center, the centerpiece of the movie is this woman named Catherine, played by Florence Pugh, uh, who's been in, in some things. I think she was in The Falling with uh, Maisie Williams, and among other things. And she is just a dynamo in this in this movie. It's a fantastic performance from her, chilling performance from her. Uh, this is a claustrophobic movie. It's a movie without a soundtrack. It's a movie that just you can't take your eyes off the screen, and it, you're just hooked the whole way. And it's really short. So uh, please, if you have the time and means, go check out Lady Macbeth. It's a great film to go support at your local theater if it's available. And uh, I give the film an A-. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much more to add than what I've said before. And like you said, I mean, it's honestly easily quite... I mean, it is the best surprise I've had this year at the movie theater, because like you said, I mean, I went in having no idea what to expect, and that really worked out for the best. And so, yeah, just... Take our word for it. If it's playing near you, I mean, don't expect a Shakespeare thing. Even don't get thrown off by the period piece thing, because it, it does have very modern sensibilities, not necessarily in what it does with the material, but just how it approaches it. And so, yeah, I mean, just check it out if you get a chance. And I hope we get some emails and stuff just telling people how much they love this movie and stuff, because I'm I'm trying to get the word out, and I think this is going to do the job. Please do. Please do. And uh, I should also say Maverick Hines and Kayla Savage, they both loved the movie that was really cool. Yeah. They they both were super it, into it. He gave it like an A, I think. He said. Yeah, yeah. He he. I think Maverick's biggest uh, praise for the movie was Florence Pugh's performance. He thought that Catherine, yeah, there's a well written character, a fantastic kind of like anti hero slash villain. Uh, Cosmo Jarvis uh, is this, uh, is also really good in this one, and uh, it, it's just totally worth checking out. It premiered at the. Uh, the Toronto Film Festival last year. Yeah. Uh, we got this covered. Brogan Morris actually reviewed the film and gave it a uh, four out of five stars, a great rating, and said, Lady Macbeth begins as a biting tale of female empowerment, but slowly reveals itself to be something much cooler. Period pieces rarely feel this contemporary, which is kind mm-hmm. of what's interesting about that is that it really does, uh, from what I can tell, it is pulling right from the novella. It's not something that's been modernized uh, from the look of it, so... Go check it out. Um, Will Ashen, you saw Detroit and uh, directed by Catherine Bigelow. And I talked about Detroit last week and I think you heard the episode Will off off season. Yeah. And I had a hard time talking about this movie. I still am. It's a a tough one to watch. And uh, I kind of stuttered and mumbled my way through. I didn't give the film a rating, but I did note it's uh, impactful performances and great writing and i really i did like the film i just uh, i had some issues with some of the things that were happening outside of it and kind of uh, my experience with it was very just grueling and uh i'm still a bit on the fence with it at times but uh will ashen you checked it out uh what did you think of detroit yeah and i i mean i'll just uh apologize right off the bat i mean if i sound winded i just because i think in the last uh episode the one that we recorded before i really like poured my heart into this review and so uh, I'll try to replicate as much as I can what I said there. But I mean, I guess being winded is appropriate because this movie really just takes a lot out of you. I mean, not even emotionally, just psychologically and everything. It's it's a movie that is trying... To, it, it's epic in a very... Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say intimate sense, but it's, it's definitely a wide... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? 
Uh, it, it's it's doing a lot. With, it's trying to accomplish a lot, and sometimes it puts its uh, cart before the horse, I, I guess. But I mean, it's really, I think, ultimately a film worth watching because it is providing this huge dialogue that, I mean, if you look at multiple different camps, you're hearing a bunch of different things about the film. And, I mean, it, I can't really comment on some of them just from my perspective. I can only just give what I thought of the film, which is that I thought it was quite easily one of the best-made films and one of the most enriching films that I saw this year. It's, uh, I would say, quality-wise, probably about like a three-and-a-half out of four-star film just like from the merits of how it approaches this topic and stuff and just how it accomplishes it with, with its epic scale and it's kind of epic form. It's a two and a half hour, close to three hour film. And it's, I mean, it's not going to be for everyone. It, it tackles a lot of things in a way with this docudrama approach that is going to unnerve people and kind of chill them and haunt them in a way that they may not feel was worth it. I mean, there's a big dialogue going on about whether Catherine Bigelow and the filmmakers who are involved with this film should have tackled this story. And I can't really comment on that. I would just say that I did not really know the story uh, beyond knowing about the riots in Detroit. I, I came into this one pretty fresh and ultimately I found the story pretty haunting in its own way. And so I gave it about an A minus. I think it's a film definitely worth watching and definitely a film worth discussing afterwards. And I, I can understand if it's not for you and if you see it and, or if you heard something that doesn't shake your fancy. But uh, I'd say if you if you want a film just like give it impact. Like, I mean, we were talking a couple weeks ago about Dunkirk, which is a movie that uh, is, it's, as far as a filmmaking perspective, it's proficient most definitely. But I just didn't have that profound experience that John had. But this is kind of the opposite. Not only, I think, is it super well made, it is super affecting. And so I'd say, yeah, definitely check it out. It's it, yeah, we've we've talked about it a lot at this point. It's a, it's a <laughs> tough movie, and it's one that you know, it, it for me as someone who isn't white and I am also not black, I'm trying to be like, but I'm not neutral or anything, like, and I'm American, right. and uh, you know, I obviously like I have an opinion, I have something to say about uh, all of these topics, and you know, I don't want to act as if I have some sort of a platform that other people don't. I think that uh, there is a history of white filmmakers making movies about race, and I don't think that that should be uh, undercut in the slightest. I think that what I do give Bigelow a lot of credit here for, that I think, and a lot of people would want to agree with this, is that this movie is in line with the types of movies that she makes. And I think that it is, it's what she does. She finds, she writes a lot of movies about men and about the horrific things that men do. And in this case, uh, there's another layer to it that she's adding here. And I'm still having issues with it because I can't, my, my thing is that uh, I did watch a movie that was an experience that had an effect on me, but I still can't decide if it, if it's something that I think was speaking to the quality of the film or if it was like kind of like manipulating me into just a maelstrom of emotion without any purpose. And uh, I'm still trying to, to reconcile that. I think the big issue with this film that I, I have and maintain is that the, uh, the perspectives of several of the characters who die in this film are very thin and the movie doesn't spend a lot of time flushing them out and it's weird. Uh, but I do think that they, I do, what I do appreciate about this film above all is that uh, aside from the performances from Algie Smith and William Poulter uh, and even John Vega to an extent, I think that 
what this movie gets so so right is that you really get the sense that like they did their research they had people who you know survived the incident on set they you know i talked about this last week like there was an air of authenticity here and that is partly why it's so damaging and so it's a tough one. I don't blame anybody who loves this movie and who feels like they were really like, you know, they had, they were really convicted or they, they watch this and they feel like they really learned something. But I also, I completely understand the folks who watch this and who had the opposite reaction and just hate this movie. I totally get both sides of it. That's what's the tough thing about it. Um, to, to cap off, uh, Matt Donato watched this one as well. Uh, he gave it a two out of five, um, a disappointing, uh, same as uh, he did Dark Tower and said, Catherine Bigelow has made something horrifying, painful, and rage-fueled in Detroit, but this focus on genre aspects undercuts a story meant for larger meanings in the end. Tough, hmm. uh, harsh review, but uh, I get where he's coming yeah. from, you know? Um, on that note, uh, <laughs> we just have, uh, I think, one more movie to talk about. Uh, Will Ashton, you also saw Girls Trip, and this is yeah, one that I've been meaning to see for a while. And uh, it, and it's it's racking up the box office. I mean, it's the it reviews is. have been great. It's it's been a huge box office success story. Uh, it's made nearly a hundred million dollars off of a twenty million dollar budget. Um, I'm I'm rounding up a little bit in a couple of respects there. Mm-hmm. But uh, what did you think of Girls Trip? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, this is uh, the comedy hit of the summer so far, I guess. I mean, it's definitely the one that I think, I'm not quite sure why, but it's taken a lot of people by surprise, I guess, that it's a hit. And I don't think it's really the case. I mean, I I wasn't super surprised just because it's Malcolm D. Lee, who has a pretty good track record. I mean, he's made movies like The Best Man films. He made Undercover Brother. He made uh, a couple other movies that weren't that great, like Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins, and... Um, Soul Men and Scary Movie 5, but most of which are pretty profitable. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, it's a movie that I would say ultimately, I think I gave it like a B minus just because I think it, for what it is, I do think it works. And I, my biggest thing is that, like, I think when you watch these four actresses, Jada Pickett Smith, um, Regina King, uh, Regina, Regina Hall, Hall, I'm sorry. You I, do that every I keep mixing this up. I keep doing that. I don't know why. Regina Hall, um, Queen Latifah, and Tiffany Haddish, who uh, you, some people may not know, but she was in Keanu. Uh, she's been a comedian for a long time. And so, yeah, I mean, you feel like these are like lifelong friends who have known each other since college. And they're just going on this trip after 20-something years of having kind of on and off communication. And, I mean, it does, like, once you get to know the characters and you get to kind of understand their dilemmas and different situations, what they are dealing with, I mean, some of it's kind of cliche and most of it's not very novel. But it, it does, I mean, they make it not merely because they embody these characters well, but just because they have that great camaraderie that you do kind of feel for them. And as you're watching, you're having fun, but you also feel like you're kind of in this nice little friendship that is, you know, it's rewarding in its own little way. But I think I have a couple criticisms that I feel like some people are either ignoring or not really pushing in that. I think at two hours, this movie really is just kind of pushing the envelope as far as just like, it, it, it's much longer than it needs to be and it feels its length more than it doesn't. Uh, and that's mainly because it keeps switching, especially in the second half, it keeps switching between tones. Like it goes from very comedic, like almost like, like very slapsticky and bombastic to like very serious and very melodramatic to like a kind of cliche, uh, sorry, not cliche, very cheesy uh, climax that it, it just doesn't feel authentic or really that it just, it just, it kind of graded me a little bit, but 
and that's not meant to be a pun on cheese but anyway <laughs> uh yeah i mean there i mean it's, it's a movie that it's not perfect but i do think it's ultimately a good movie because it, it, it is funny and it does you know it, it, it makes you feel good and i mean i was saying this before that like well, I look at some other comedies that are coming out, like, you know, Bad Moms, which is a movie that was kind of this kind of level of success last year or last summer, yeah. where it kind of came out of nowhere and people didn't really have high expectations and it became this big box office hit and a big critical success. And that was one I just did not, like, I, I just don't get what people saw in that movie. And I still and don't, I don't remember it getting, like, great reviews. That that totally went over my head. I thought it was just another one of the, you know. Uh, I think it, great, it got, like, good reviews. Like, like, better than, like, these kind of movies usually get. Okay. If that makes sense, like, I mean, it definitely got, like, it's, like, fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, like, I think, like, 70-something percent, well, or maybe, like, 65. Well, because the sequel's coming for you. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I saw a trailer for the sequel, Bad Mom Christmas, which I think just looks really bad. Like, I just don't... I, I, it just feels like they rushed it, and, like, it just is not going to be good. But then, like, as I was watching this movie, I was like, you know, if they ever made a Girl Strip 2, which they might, just based on the box office and critical success, I would totally watch oh, it. I mean, I think... Well. I mean, if they do it, I'm totally there because I think these are fun characters and I'd like to revisit them. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's the ultimate key to the success of the film is that, I mean, it does feel like you're just getting four new friends that you just like to chang out with. And so I hope people check it out. I mean, they already are checking it yeah, out. But yeah. if you think it's your thing or if you're just looking for like, like something lighter as opposed to like Detroit or something, I mean, it's worth watching. It's a good film. I already know the answer to this question, but I'll ask anyway. Yeah. What is your final grade? Oh, uh, B minus. I think I said at the beginning. Oh, did you? I, I threw a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Oh, whatever. <laughs> now they know, even if they missed it. So yeah, I mean, I I, I threw it at the beginning because I knew I was going to forget. Yeah, I have I this bad habit of forgetting to grade my films, so I just was like, I'll just throw I, it at the beginning. I think so you I don't secretly you just wanted to be so mysterious, and I get that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there are some critics that like just don't don't rate films, and I can get that. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. And then they, but I'm usually not that back, kind of guy. Sometimes they come back around, and they, you know, but they, they, they yeah. They, start doing star reviews or whatever i don't know i like right. to be consistent I, i'm just forgetful that's where it is. We, we did get you eventually just to, to really lean into our system of uh of grades of letter grades yeah and uh i think it works out but okay that'll do it then for this episode of cinemaholics a lot shorter than usual again we apologize but yeah. uh, still a great discussion we really captured a lot of I think a lot of what we talked about in the original and, you know, hopefully you guys uh, have a better idea of what we thought of the Dark Tower and all these other films. Yeah, I hope you get to hear this one. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Uh, I really think, too, I mean, if you guys are kind of hunting for a good film this this next week, I mean, there's so many to choose from. Um, Just just in the Celeste, like Detroit, Lady Macbeth, uh, Girls Trip, obviously, and you know, because the people are already seeing it. But even, you know, some films that are still in theaters, if you haven't caught Baby Driver yet, and uh, I would say Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's a good film. War for the Planet of the Apes. And yeah, there's, there's so, this is a good summer, a lot better than last year, if you recall. Big Sick? Big Sick, yes, absolutely. And do you just remember 2016 summer, especially by the time August was rolling around, I think Suicide Squad was coming around around this time? Something like that. It was, it was a rough summer. It was uh, a lot of disappointments, a lot of... Uh, and not a lot of bright spots. Yeah. But what what even know. was out last summer? Like Star Trek Beyond? Star Trek was like was one of the few good ones. Ghostbusters good. came out. And yeah, that was average yeah, at best. Minions, I think. Or no, that was two years ago. Yeah. Uh, no, it was two years ago. Finding yeah. Dory was good. I liked that one. And uh, Civil War yeah, was right. good too. But that was the thing. The only mm-hmm. good ones were the like really safe you know, genre, yeah. big movies. And there weren't like as many like indie darlings out. I, th- I think Sing Street right. and... 
uh, Sing Street and uh, the Tiger for the Wilder People. Yeah, that one. That was really good too. Um, other than those, I don't remember a few others that were nearly as uh, surprising. So, right. So yeah, this has definitely been a better summer, and I'm hoping you know we got some good good looking movies coming out like Logan Lucky and a couple others. American Made is one that to. I might skip though because I I don't know. That is that coming out this month? I thought yeah, that was like in the fall. right at the end of the month. Uh, might be a limited okay. release, but. That said, uh, we're not totally sure what we're going to do for an episode next week because the only movie coming Nut out job is Nut Job and Annabelle Creation. Which is actually getting a pretty good response so far, so that's I, yeah, not the Yeah, question. I might check it out. We're, we're doing a last call this week, and we're thinking yeah. about you know maybe leveraging some of our stuff here so that uh, we have a really good episode for you guys this next week. We'll, we'll let you know on the Facebook page what we're going to do. Speaking of which, check out the Facebook page, like, and uh, see what we're doing there. That's, that's your one-stop resource for all Cinemaholics all the time. Find out like what we're going to talk about. We like to engage with you guys on there. Uh, if you like Cinemaholics, uh, be sure to join up and uh, like the page. We also have uh, uh, we please leave us a review on um, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, if you like Cinemaholics, you want to support our show and just help us continue to grow. Uh, that's one of the best, easiest ways to do so. And uh, as always, email us Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we want to uh, interact with you if you have questions about the show, feedback, uh, anything. Um, and if you want to shout out on next week's episode or in the future, that's the way to do it. So be sure to do that. And uh, yeah, that, that'll do it for this week's episode. We did it. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's hope for the best that it gets out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we'll see you guys again next week from the Internet California. I am John Agroni. From the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ash. From Maverick Hines and Sam Flynn. We'll see you guys next <laughs> week. Bye.